what's going on everybody welcome to the best ball dose podcast your fix of best ball information strategy and analysis i am your host ben hover joined as i always am by joey carrion and on today's show we are unveiling the 2022 fade list a handful of players that we are strongly recommending you shy away from in drafts best ball drafts we have home leagues approaching soon these are the players that are going to tank your season frankly and and by staying away from them you are just dramatically increasing your ev in every draft you enter joey let's start off with a player that you are not touching in drafts this year so the first player i'm fading in 2022 fantasy football is a running back by the name of nicholas chubb Mm. and the reason i am fading nick chubb is for some similar reasons why we faded him in the past and that is he is in a committee backfield with cream hunt and dearness johnson he is not going to catch passes and you're basically relying on touchdown variants to just absolutely hit him in the face if you want him to hit his ceiling on a season basis and on a week by week basis the games in which cream hunt and nick chubb both played last year nick chubb did not go over a 56 percent snap share nick chubb did not go over four targets in any game and the games in which he did have four targets those are games that cream hunt missed towards the end of the season and the games where they both played nick chubb had two one zero one and one targets so You're not getting anything out of Nick Chubb in terms of PPR upside, and I would like to think that is what a majority of redraft leagues are, is full PPR, and I would like to think that with best ball, you are getting some points in a majority of the leagues that you're playing in for catches. And he is just not going to play in the passing game. He's not going to see a ton of opportunity, just period, because the other running backs are going to be involved. He had a 58.3% opportunity share last year, which ranked 19th in the NFL. He only had 42 red zone touches, five of those which were on the goal line. That was number 18 in the NFL. And I think the biggest indicator of, you know, fantasy success on a year-to-year basis is probably expected fantasy points per game. And in that category last year, his expected fantasy points per game was only 12.9, which was 21st in the league. He averaged 15.4 fantasy points per game which was number 10. So a 2.46 differential. And I think that should only come down, especially with Deshaun Watson most likely being suspended for the entire year and the the offensive efficiency should take a major hit. This could be a relatively bad team with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. So I don't know how many opportunities he is going to have to score a bunch of touchdowns. And frankly, that's what you need for Nick Chubb to win you your league in the third round. Yeah, no, I mean, I I agree 100% with this take. I'm not taking Nick Chubb in the third round over any of those wide receivers that I I mean, they're just rock solid picks, you know, the Pittman's Keenan's Mike Wills, DJ Moore's like, they're just not going to fail in the same way that Nick Chubb can fail relative to position. I think somewhere deep within Nick Chubb's range of outcomes is one of those Derrick Henry-esque seasons where he just goes absolutely nuclear from a talent perspective. I think you could easily make the case that Nick Chubb is a top three runner of the football 
in the NFL, right up in that same mm-hmm. category as Henry and Jonathan Taylor. But in the grand scheme of things, that isn't what is the most productive asset a player can bring to the table in fantasy. Like you said, receptions are such a huge part of it. Even in half PPR, but in full PPR, Nick Chubb is is hands off 100% as far as I'm concerned. The lack of pass catching upside and the amount of work that he's going to cede to Kareem Hunt and Dearness Johnson, like you said, I don't think you can be taking Nick Chubb at a third round price tag this year, especially when... 12 picks later, you can be getting guys who do have legitimate pass catching upside in Travis Etienne, Brees Hall, even James Conner, if, if that's your vibe. Yeah, and totally agree with everything you said. Besides like the Derrick Henry uh, season is in his range, like deep down, I personally believe that's not even in his range. Derrick Henry in eight games last year had 219 rushing attempts. He was on pace to go well over like 400 right. for the season. In 14 games, Nick Chubb only had 228. Mm-hmm. So he had nine more rushing attempts in six more games than Derrick Henry. Right. Nick Chubb is just not going to see the volume that Derrick Henry once did or might have once again this season. Nick Chubb hasn't gone over 300 carries in any season of his career. No, I, I miss I miss uh, spoke on my point. I guess I meant that he as a player has that capability in, in his range, but he does not have that capability in his current situation with the Browns coaching yeah. staff because they're never going to give him that work that he would need to never. get there. But if they did, he is the type of player I think that could absolutely capitalize it on a you know just a pure talent perspective. I, I agree with that, but he's just never yeah he's just never going to see the opportunity. And like you said, the wide receivers are just better picks in that range. So I think that Nick Chubb is. A pretty easy fade in best ball and especially in any full PPR format. Yes, a player in that same sort of ADP range that I am going to be fading this year is Debo Samuel going as the wide receiver seven with an ADP of 17.6 on underdog. You just said in your Nick Chubb point that expected fantasy points is a huge indicator and no player had a bigger differential last year than Debo Samuel overperforming an average of 5.3 fantasy points per game compared to his expected output and to me it comes down to the fact that you have to reach in the middle of the second round to get a player who is more primed for regression than any other player in the league 30 percent of Debo Samuel's fantasy points came from rushing last year there's just no way that he's going to be able to replicate that same production especially in terms of touchdowns Debo Samuel scored eight touchdowns on 59 rush attempts last year. The next closest player who scored eight touchdowns was Jalen Hurts, who had 80 more rush attempts than him. It's just not going to happen. Again, I think we could see that number cut in half. I think Debo could be around two or three rushing touchdowns, and maybe he you know, gets more traditional wide receiver work. But Trey Lance, as much as we are all in on him breaking out this year, it is well within the range of outcomes that he is not as consistent a passer as Jimmy Garoppolo was as he led them to the championship game last year in his first year as a full starter. Brandon Ayuk is emerging. George Kittle will still get his. I think that Debo is just headed for regression and all of the receivers going after him, at least a handful of them, AJ Brown, Michael Pittman, Mike Williams are, are sort of headed in the opposite direction, heading towards breakouts based on their situation. So I would rather just wait on a wide receiver in that point of the draft, grab Mark Andrews, you know, secure a top two tight end in the NFL, grab 
grab another running back in that spot and then hammer receiver in the third round just from a draft texture perspective and an expected regression perspective Debo Samuel to me is a clear-cut avoid in the middle of the second round yeah I like it in my opinion he's still you know one of the best just playmakers in the league and they're going to figure out ways to get him the ball no matter what so I still think he's like a relatively safe pick just from that perspective I do think that he is due for major regression especially with the rushing touchdowns those should absolutely come down and obviously the concerns with Trey Lance and how he is as a passer and what his ceiling is and the competition that Debo has I think are definitely valid arguments I'm not necessarily full fading him I don't have much Debo but I think if he falls a little bit he's still a great pick but I definitely would not be reaching on Debo in the second round I do agree that from a draft texture perspective and you know some other players going a little bit later it it makes sense to stay away from Debo and you know just hope that he doesn't replicate the same efficiency that he did last year which ultimately is a a good bet to make year over year yep 100 percent. give me another player that you were staying away from this season yeah so my second fade for 2022 is cam Akers. i think that cam Akers is a fade because of largely where he's going in best ball i think that he is just entrenched in the running back dead zone where i would rather take shots on some upside wide receivers going around him like alan robinson darnell mooney etc i think the quarterbacks in that range are better like lamar jackson Jalen Hurts etc and then I think that is the spot where the tight end value is better as well with Darren Waller and George Kittle I think that the Rams are going to transition more towards a running back by committee than they have in previous years we've talked about it before Daryl Henderson was really productive last year when healthy obviously that is the concern with Daryl Henderson and both of them are dealing with injuries currently but I think the smoke out of Rams camp is that this is going to be a split backfield for once and I think both running backs are going to get work obviously Cam Akers came back from his Achilles injury a little too soon last year and he was in my opinion the most ineffective running back that I've ever watched especially in that playoff run I don't think that should be a concern with him having you know an extra five to seven months now of rehab and working his way back and obviously he'll be good to go but I think that just from a value perspective he's not going to give you much value as a fourth slash fifth round pick in you know best ball and in your home leagues and I like the other players going around him a little bit better it's hard to disagree with you on this because the theory of everything you said is super sound and just we know at this point through several years of data that mathematically it is a better pick to take a wide receiver or one of those high upside quarterbacks in that portion of the draft where he's going right around the four or five turn. And, and, you know, you cited a quarterback like Jalen Hurts. I mean, shit, you can get Patrick Mahomes after Cam Akers ADP. And that's the kind of thing that makes it really difficult for me to accept. And not only that, but obviously the receivers, like guys like, I mean, Darnell Mooney, who I'll be talking about in an upcoming episode, like they're just such safer picks and arguably have very similar, if not higher ceilings. I think with Cam Akers, there is a world somewhere out there in the universe where he comes out and just wins the job from Daryl Henderson. Like, I think that it's not outside of the range of outcomes that he, if he looks like he did in his rookie season towards the end of that year, that they don't, you know, get away from all of the smoke around a split. Like, I think within his range of outcomes, he could be a workhorse for the Rams, especially if there is anything serious with the Stafford elbow 
elbow injury and they have to revert to being more run heavy just based on necessity from the team. Maybe Stafford struggles as the year goes on and this elbow thing mm-hmm. progresses. So I, I don't hate Cam Akers. I think if he continues to fall, he's a player that I would want to be in on. I mean, I think that some of the concerns around him are baked into his ADP right now, but I do agree with you just in the sense that there are, there are better picks to make. But if you start off a draft, say you're just like ripping four receivers straight or three receivers in a tight end and Cam Akers is sitting there at the top of the fifth, I, I think there are worse picks you can make just from a pure upside perspective. I wouldn't make that pick in like a home league, I don't think. But in, in terms of just trying to hit the nuts and maybe score on a guy who can be, you know, a 20 touch per week player in the fifth round, I, I would take that in a best ball top heavy payout type of tournament. But I, I don't have too much exposure to Cam Akers in, in my personal portfolio. So all in all, I'm, I'm on board with you with that. The next guy that I am fading for this upcoming season will come as no surprise to anybody who's been listening to the podcast this offseason. That is Alan Lazard. Not to be repetitive, but maybe you guys are just tuning into the show for the first time. I'll tell you why I'm off Alan Lazard. It's just the fact that in this Green Bay offense, I don't believe there is anything that separates him in terms of talent or in terms of opportunity from any of the other wide receivers there. And he is being drafted as if he's the clear-cut alpha. We have never seen anything out of Alan Lazard to give us the inclination that he is that player. We have Romeo Dubes emerging. Christian Watson should be back healthy in time for week one. Sammy Watkins, career disappointment, but has he done any worse than Alan Lazard throughout his career? I don't think so. I I mean, I think Aaron Jones is going to be the top target on this team. I think that they're going to shift more run heavy with the lack of pass catchers in this offense. It'll be an Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon centric offense. And what does that do for Alan Lazard? Puts him in position to do what he does best, which is block. He blocked on 49% of his snaps last season. And if this team is shifting even more run heavy, does it not make sense that he would be utilized in a similar fashion this year? I think that it does. My main problem with Alan Lazard is just his ADP relative to the other Packers wide receivers. You know, if it was Sammy Watkins going at pick 74 and Alan Lazard going at pick 180, then I would have the reverse stance where I would say Sammy Watkins is the worst pick in fantasy and let me get some shares of Alan Lazard. But just from a price point perspective, Alan Lazard is incorrectly being drafted as if he has an alpha role in this offense, which I believe he does not. What are your thoughts on Alan Lazard? Am I bugging here? No, I mean... I don't have much to add. I agree with everything that you said. He's going as the wide receiver 37. And for me, why I am fading Alan Lazard, you know, in addition to what you said, is just the players he's going around. I'd rather have Brandon Ayuk. I'd rather have Devontae Smith, Kadarius Toney, Tony Pollard, Christian Kirk. So I think that's the biggest reason for me is just the pocket of the draft in which he's being drafted. I think you can get a higher ceiling wide receiver. I think you could get a high ceiling quarterback in Trey Lance who's going a couple spots above Alan Lazard or a Russell Wilson who's going after or Joe Burrow who's going after I think that's more valuable than Alan Lazard and honestly I just don't think he's that talented of a player and I think that everything you said just in terms of the Packers are going to be a more run heavy team I think that's absolutely true and I think Aaron Jones is the best pass catcher on the Packers currently and I think he's going to be utilized as so and I'm not interested at all in any Packers wide receiver to be honest yeah I mean just look at this pocket of five receivers that are going back to back to back in ADP Amari Cooper Drake London Brandon Ayuk Alan Lazard and DeAndre Hopkins one of these things is not like the other can you guess which one (laughs) 
come on, bro. Fair enough. Y'all got to get off that <laughs> Alan Lazard bandwagon. I've been trying to tell you since March and people ain't listening, but to each their own. Let's talk about a guy real quick, though, who also departed from this Green Bay Packers offense in the offseason. Marquez Valdez Scantling. I think he's interesting because I know he's a player that you are not really in on. And he sort of fits into the news cycle as today Mecole Hardman was carted off the field during practice with an injury we don't yet know the severity of, but that potentially clears up a little bit of the target competition, obviously not wishing a significant injury on Mecole, but if that is the case, that will be the reaction. And I think we're on pretty opposite sides of the MVS discussion here. Yeah, I... I'm not drafting any MVS. He is one of my fades for 2022. I think that with MVS, he's going to a very similar situation that he was in in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. He's playing with an elite quarterback, and I will say, albeit, the Chiefs will throw the ball more than they did in than they did in Green Bay. You know, so that's the only caveat. But he's playing with a superstar quarterback. He is like third on the team in terms of potential opportunity right now, and ultimately, he's just not good at football. Ben, I don't know what else to tell you. He's just not good at football. He had a 27% route win rate last year, 95th in the NFL, 60th in the NFL in terms of routes versus man coverage. 98th in terms of win rate versus man coverage. 55th in terms of separation. 115th in terms of total routes won. Doesn't have a season in his career with more than 700 receiving yards in four years in arguably a better situation for opportunity in Green Bay, really only competing with Devontae Adams as the alpha. Now there's Travis Kelsey as the alpha, Juju Smith-Schuster, Sky Moore, CEH, Isaiah Pacheco is the rising superstar out of Chiefs camp. There's a good chance that Marquez Valdez-Scantling might finish fifth in terms of touches on the Chiefs in 2022 and expecting a different result out of Marquez Valdez Scantling after we know what he is is the definition of insanity I don't think so the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result but this is not the same thing sir this is not the same thing this is going to be a more pass happy offense with a better coach a coach that may be able to unlock mvs in ways that the coaching staff in green bay has not been able to and and the great the great fifth year breakout because he hasn't played with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time or a coach that has led to the the packers to multiple number one seeds and championship games but do you know what the chiefs did one day after trading Tyreek Hill, the very next day, they, they paid do? Marquez Valdez Scantling $36 million. All right. They made a concerted effort that this was the guy that is mm. going to come in and take some of these targets. He was their top priority at wide receiver in the offseason. He's making more money than Juju. Yeah. But then again, only $8 million of his entire contract is guaranteed. Fair. But the reports have all been good. You know, he is he clear cut throughout Chiefs camp has been the number two receiver. You know, he's playing in all two wide sets with Juju Smith-Schuster. It hasn't been Sky Moore. As, as impressive as Sky Moore has been with good draft capital coming out of the second round, it hasn't been him. It hasn't been Miko Hardman getting his, you know, however manyth chance there. And, and MVS, you know, has been top five in the league in yards per reception over the last two seasons. Now we know one thing about Aaron Rodgers, apart from that he's a good quarterback, it's that this man holds grudges like you wouldn't fucking 
believe. And MVS struggled with drops early in his career. Just yesterday, there was a story in the news, Aaron Rodgers chewing out the young receivers. Maybe it's a situation where, you know, these early career drops and struggles that MVS had just permanently put him on the shit list of Aaron Rodgers and and perhaps that toxic dynamic, that toxic work environment, which we have to remember at the end of the day, that's what this is. It's a work environment for these guys. And, and you can't flourish in a toxic work environment, can you? But now you go somewhere where you were loved and supported and valued. They, they brought mm. the checkbook out and showed you how much they valued you. There's a role. There's targets open in this offense. You're not getting a quarterback downgrade. I mean, as great as Rodgers is, you could definitely make the case that he is catching passes from a better quarterback this year than he was last year. I think that MVS is a great pick locked into two wide sets in the ninth, 10th round. I'm all, I, I'm I'm happy to take shots on MVS this year. I think he's perfect in best ball, and I think that he may be a little bit more consistent than he has been in the past, which makes him viable in home leagues as well. I mean, he'll definitely have ceiling games for sure, but if we just take a look back at the last few seasons the Chiefs wide receiver two has been a non-existent fantasy option period okay so just expecting expecting Marquez to be more consistent and do better than he did with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay just because he's supposedly locked into wide receiver two sets a month before the season starts means absolutely nothing to me personally. But there's no Tyreek Hill. So it's not like Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and everybody else. I don't think that Juju, it's like Juju, Kelsey and everybody else. Juju hasn't separated that much by, by, you know, everything that we know up to this point, has he? Uh, Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Obviously uh, losing Tyreek Hill opens up a ton of opportunity and there's a lot of opportunity there for sure. And I just think that Marquez Valdez Scantling, he's just not good at football. That's that's really my main argument. He's just, he's just not good at football. He was 75th in target separation, 73rd in dominator, 87th in contested catch rate, 63rd in yards per route run. These are all indicators of him just being very average at football. And just because he's going to get plugged in to this Chiefs offense doesn't mean that he's going to provide crazy fantasy games. Will he have spike weeks? Absolutely. Is he worth like a speculative ninth round pick in best ball? For sure. Definitely. Do I want him in redraft? Absolutely no no shot. He's not going to be a consistent fantasy option. Combine that with the fact that the man is just not good at playing wide receiver in the NFL. Is he an NFL caliber wide receiver? Sure. Is he going to be Tyreek Hill or Tyreek Hill light or Walmart Tyreek Hill? No. He's he's not the Walmart. He's like the Dollar General Tyreek Hill or Dollar Tree. Whichever one is more disrespectful. Use Dollar that. Tree is way more disrespectful. He's the Dollar Tree Tyreek Hill. That's absurd. Miko Hardman is the Dollar Tree Tyreek Hill. <laughs> The very true. Here's my thing is that's all that's all well and good. And I think there are reasons not to draft Marquez Valdez Scantling. Next week we're going to be doing a couple shows about how to dominate your home league and we'll talk about, you know, the best positional allocations throughout different portions of the draft. This year, I mean, if you are fading the running back dead zone, you're probably going to be leaving the first six or so rounds with multiple receivers, four or five receivers, and a top-tier quarterback, maybe a tight end if you're able to scoop an Andrews or Pitts, which is going to leave you sort of in this part of the draft where MVS is going to get a lot of high 
high value running backs that I think could be absolute league winners. You know, the Ramon J. Stevenson's, Chase Edmonds, Clyde Edwards Hilaire's, all sort of going in that range. And I think ideally that's probably the best argument against MVS is from a roster construction standpoint. A lot of the times, if you're drafting optimally, this is the part of the draft where you're hammering your RB2s, 3s, fours, etc. However, if you're just comparing MVS to the other receivers he's going around, Tyler Lockett, Chase Claypool, Traylon Burks, like I think that MVS is a superior pick to all of those players. I think that he's worse at football than all of those players, and he's going to score probably less fantasy points than all of those guys. Mm-hmm. That is just an opinion. You know, you if you want, you can you can draft MVS all you want. You'll get, like I said, you'll get a couple spike weeks. You'll get a twenty ball here and there, but at the end of the day, you're still getting a bad wide receiver that has uh, no prior production to look back on and try and predict uh, a fifth year breakout because of that i think that's uh pretty bad and am i think I, am that, i getting a thousand yards and eight touchdowns i think that's like his 99th percentile outcome yeah i think he's gonna be like a a 12 to 13 percent target share guy four to five targets a game we shall see i'm interested though because if the main crux of your argument right is that it doesn't matter how good the situation is because the talent isn't there then how can you be off of dk metcalf as one of your top fades this year when we know if there is one thing that that man does not lack it is pure talent Yeah, I think that with DK Metcalf, it's really just I prefer the players going around him. So kind of a similar argument to Cam Akers. Mm -hmm. They're going kind of in that same range, correct? And I prefer Rashad Bateman. I think the floor is a little bit higher. The offense is a little bit better. I prefer Michael Thomas and Chris Godwin and Darnell Mooney going elite quarterback if you can get a Patrick Mahomes who is going three picks above DK Metcalf right now. And obviously from an athletic talent perspective DK Metcalf is an absolute freak of nature I just think that the Seahawks are going to be one of the most run heavy teams in the NFL with Rashad Penny and Kenneth Walker they have one of the worst quarterback situations in the league and obviously talent really does matter at the wide receiver position and talent usually does win out so I think he's still worth like a speculative draft selection but really I would only take him if all of the guys that I mentioned were gone. Like, he'd be my last option out of the players that he's going around in best ball right now. And I just think that the Seahawks team environment is what's keeping me from, you know, being in on DK Metcalf and even Tyler Lockett this year. I just think that the quarterback play is going to be so egregious, and I think that could negatively affect DK Metcalf's efficiency. I think that the Seahawks offense could be one of the worst in the NFL and I think that I'd rather have a bunch of players going around DK Metcalf yeah the biggest issue for me with DK Metcalf is just that Darnell Mooney is getting drafted below him and I am absolutely obsessed with leaving as many drafts as I can with Darnell Mooney and I'm just flat out never taking DK Metcalf ahead of him yeah so because it's like from a floor and ceiling perspective like Darnell Mooney's like low-key better in both with the opportunity that he's going to see in Chicago like Darnell Mooney I mean we've talked about it before Last year, even with Allen Robinson there, he was like top seven in terms of targets and opportunity and and target share. (laughs) And his his situation's only gotten better. Meanwhile, DK Metcalf has has lost Russell Wilson to be replaced with the worst quarterback situation in the league with Geno Smith looking like he's going to win this job over Drew Locke. Like this man's going to be catching passes from fucking Geno Smith in the year 2022. Just think about that. Yeah, and, and I will say you did have, you know, 
I think he did have a, a pretty good game with Geno last year when uh, Ross w- was hurt. But yeah, it, it it'll be rough. It'll be rough for sure for the wide receivers and, and pass catchers in Seattle. Yeah. Last thing I'll say about Metcalf is that I think he's draftable. I think that just from a talent perspective, he's going to be able to put up big games. But when you're at that point in the draft and there are maybe like five or six receivers that you like more, it doesn't have to be a huge difference. You're just not going to end up with that guy. You know, like if I think that DK Metcalf should be knocked like six spots down to maybe like the Elijah Moore, Adam Thielen, Amari Cooper range, then I'm just never going to get him over MT Godwin and Mooney. And and that's kind of how I have it. So, yeah, you know, maybe I'll take a couple shares of Metcalf here and there, but I, I largely do agree with you. And I don't think that anybody is going to regret having a soft stance on the Seahawks offense this year. And in, in fact, if you just generally got away from all Seattle Seahawks players, that's probably a plus EV move in 2022. Absolutely. All right, let's close out this show with a player that we have both been fading. I have been fading this man for years. I mean, I, I remember two years ago getting absolutely roasted in the YouTube comments for my stance against Josh Jacobs. And let me tell you something, it hasn't changed. Yeah, Josh Josh Jacobs is one of my biggest fades as well this year. I know he is coming off of one of the best years of his career in terms of fantasy. Um, He was 13th in fantasy points per game. You know, he had nine catches. He had his best receiving year yet. He had 54 catches, a career high. And in terms of opportunity last year, he was he was pretty solid. He was ninth in opportunity share, 14th in snap share at the running back position. He had a couple spike weeks, especially towards the end of the season. And he was largely solid for a majority of the year last year. But I think with Josh McDaniels there now as the head coach, I think we're just going to see a full-blown running back by committee. You know, we have the quotes of Josh Jacobs saying that essentially he's not a bell cow and everybody else is going to get work. They brought in Amir Abdullah. They drafted Zamir White. They still have Kenyon Drake. So you have like four capable running backs on the depth chart, especially for that pass game James White-esque role in the Raiders offense that all four of them could potentially play so I would expect the targets and the receptions to regress and I think his opportunity is going to absolutely regress and then this coaching staff just has no ties to Jacob uh, especially running Jacob and, and him being a bell cow so I just think from that perspective he's really bad and then he's kind of going outside of the dead zone in my opinion, you're right towards the end of it. So I think at an ADP of 71 and a half, you can't really consider him a, a running back dead zone selection, but he's very similar to Alan Lazard. I just prefer the players that he's going around in drafts um, at that spot. Adam Thielen, Elijah Moore, Amari Cooper, Trey Lance, Dalton Schultz, like Give me all of those guys above Josh Jacobs and then IU, Drake London, DeAndre Hopkins, Joe Burrow, Devontae Smith, I think are all better draft picks and have higher ceilings than Josh Jacobs and ultimately he's a floor pick you know he, he's he's going to be a 13 to 15 point per game player on average and obviously that that's fine he'll probably make your lineup more likely than not but I just don't think he's going to win you your league whereas I think some of the players that he's going around can win you your league especially in best ball and help you advance and you know f- uh, finish top two in your league. Yeah, I mean, do you want Josh Jacobs, who's splitting work with four guys at pick 70, or Melvin Gordon, who has a 50-50 split in an offense with similar upside 40 picks later, or 16 picks later? 
you know, Chase Edmonds or Ramondre Stevenson or, or Kareem Hunt or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, all going over a full round later, guys that have the actual opportunity to fully lead their team in touches. And while some of these guys are also in split backfields, at least just not, the split isn't as intense. And especially with all the reports that like, if, if all that pass catching progression that we've seen out of Josh Jacobs that really manifested itself last year for the first time in his career is going to be scaled back by the likes of Amir Abdullah and company, like I just couldn't imagine drafting him. The only argument that I think you could make on the other side is that people are really expecting this Raiders offense to be better. And, you know, this division in general with the Broncos Chiefs Chargers should lead to a ton of high scoring games. And if Josh Jacobs sort of has that goal line role locked down, which I think he might, you know, maybe he lucks into a good touchdown variant season. But at the same time, I'm just not betting on that. When I think that there are better workload bets and situational bets at later points in the draft. And and that's what it really, really comes down to for me in the end. Like I said, I ultimately believe Josh Jacobs is is just kind of like a, a floor pick. Like I think he'll get opportunity. He'll lead the Raiders backfield in touches, but the ceiling in my opinion is just very capped. And, you know, he's never given you those 25, 30 point games that other players will be able to give you, especially in that range at the wide receiver position. Couldn't agree more and that is going to be it for this edition of the best ball dose make sure you follow us on twitter at dose media net as well as our personal twitters i'm at ben hover joey's at joey carrying dfs if you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what's going on within the network join our inner circle the link to do so is via our free discord channel you can find that in the show notes to this podcast to everybody listening out there we appreciate you we value you Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.